S-O-S. Please, someone help me. It's not healthy for me to feel this. Why owe you making this hard? Rihanna. Hello, and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, as usual, please say hello to my fellow pundit, Mr. A.J. Mass. You know, sometimes I feel I've got to (laughs) run away. I've got to... Get away from all the crime in Houston's Philly Oh, my Ward. God. And all, all the construction noise. It's crazy, AJ. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to do that randomly throughout the episode. Oh, please don't. I don't know if my nerves can take it. AJ, I feel like I haven't talked to you in a while. Jeez, Louise. Well, I mean, I hope you weren't feeling any distress over it. Um. <laughs> I might have been, but why don't we uh, talk about what we do here? This is Felonious Pundits. We talk every week about the show Criminal Minds. We recap and take an in-depth look at an episode, and I have never seen the show before, AJ. That's our that's our little our little uh, bit that we do. I haven't seen this show. Oh, it's not a bit. It's the truth. It is the truth. Uh, And that's my perspective that I'll be giving you. And you, my friend, are the grizzled veteran, as we like to put it, since about episode six or so of the the criminal mind scene. You've seen every episode, and that's the view you'll be giving us on it. Yes, multiple times. And uh, never, never... Never before have I felt more, I'm getting too old for this, S. <laughs> Ooh, this one was a slodge. This was, this, was, this was not an easy one to get through. But uh, I think perhaps that will lead to uh, this being a really good episode of Felonious Pundits, however. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, this episode for this week was Season 2, Episode 17 of Criminal Minds. The title of the episode was Distress, kind of mentioned in the episode, I guess. We'll get get to it. (laughs) But uh, I don't know. I I probably would have tried for a different title. Anyway, it was written by someone whose name I'm going to butcher, Ona Lee. On the lie <laughs> and uh, oh, directed. Yes. This was only, yeah. <laughs> and directed by John F. Showalter. Any relation to Buck? I don't know. Or Michael? Have... Yeah, no, no clue. Yeah, uh, only <laughs> I, I, I've been, I've seen that that name becomes a, almost a fixture uh, in in the Criminal Minds credits, and I've just taken the saying only, but I don't know if that's uh, the pronunciation, but it, it just rolls off the tongue, so that's what I use. And apologies to uh, only if that's not your name. Yes, if you're not that, that's not your name, and you're listening, please uh, definitely give us a call. Hey, and we'll correct, correct that. <laughs> Uh, so this episode originally aired on February 21st, 2007, and AJ, why don't we just get it over with? 
we start this particular week with a scene that looks like it was straight out of The Warriors or Judgment Night or some post-apocalyptic uh, movie. Um, but it's actually just Houston and it's the Fifth Ward. When we we uh, it's nighttime and we see a, a group of ruffians wreaking havoc on what looks like a construction site. They're swinging bats, breaking windows, spray paint and graffiti on the walls. One might even say they were breaking stuff. <laughs> exactly. I will say that this gang, even though they were supposed to be a gang of youths, youths, they appeared to be, to me, very diverse. Uh, there were older people, there were younger people, white, black. It was like the most diverse cast gang. <laughs> It was almost as if they realized that they wanted to make very, very clear that they were not disparaging the black community at mm -hmm. all by making sure at every opportunity <laughs> that it, it's not black people. It's just people who live in Houston's Fifth Ward. The fact that a lot of them happen to be black, it, you know, and, and it is based in fact. I mean, the Houston's Fifth Ward is... A tough place to live. It, it, it is uh, has a police department that is struggling. It does have community centers that have been torn down, and you know there's been a gentrification process. Everything that was going on in this episode was factual, but you could you could portray factual in a certain way that makes it feel uncomfortable because you're just like, what exactly are you trying to say here? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think they were going out of their way. Almost too much in the other direction and overcorrecting. Yes. So, uh, all of a sudden, AJ, we hear a gunshot and a security guard shouts out, nobody move. And uh, all these kids slash adults slash diverse group of people that are a gang drop their bats and they take off running. And uh, the security guard picks one kid to chase after the kid that was having trouble getting down from where he was. So he's running away a bit slower and uh, the security guard chases after him. But uh, the security guard trips and falls. The kid gets away and the security guard gets up and says, damn it. Like, you know, now the only security he has to worry about is his job security. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. He uh, hears another noise behind him, and he turns around to confront it, but it appears for a moment that it's just a cat. With the noise that it made. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then, all of a sudden, as he's turning around, someone jumps out at him, and for whatever reason, I think we heard a lion roaring on the soundtrack. <laughs> yes. yes, we did. <laughs> Which, I, I don't think I ever got the purpose, but okay. <laughs> and you won't. <laughs> Uh, and uh, then the attacker snaps the guard's neck and uh, takes his gun and runs off. Yeah, it was an interesting, interesting start to the episode. Uh, I kind, of, I kind of felt like I was watching like a Limp Bizkit video or something, or a concert gone wrong, and then all of a sudden this happens. But uh, okay, it's fine. We, 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 we at least we've seen, we've seen. A murder. We've seen an, an unsub do the murder. Okay, let's see where they take us. <laughs> right. We uh, cut next to the BAU office. JJ is giving the team an update on this case. 
It's happening in Houston's Fifth Ward, which accounts for a large percentage of the city's growing homicide rate due to gang violence and drug trafficking. And in the last 48 hours, however, there have been three distinctive murders in the area. Morgan asks, well, what do you mean distinctive? She says, well, these are three men. The victims were all three men that were different from different socioeconomic groups, and they were all killed on the street with their necks snapped. No other injuries, no apparent connections between the victims. And at this point, Reed saunters in, and he's late, but he just nonchalantly takes his seat and settles in, and everybody's kind of looking at him. He doesn't seem to care about the fact that they're giving him the glances, and uh, JJ moves on. She continues on. She says there's a lot of gang violence, but this doesn't seem like a gang thing. The gangs here tend to use guns, and it doesn't seem like a drug thing either because the victims don't seem to connect to being involved with drug people at all. Gideon is looking at the pictures on the monitor and says, homeless man, construction worker, security guard. Three-fifths of the village people. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember actually a homeless man being in the village people, but that was the imagery I got. We, what we have to do is watch out all the Native Americans because they're on the hit list next. Exactly. <laughs> um, that is the connection <laughs> between these victims, but they didn't jump to that. Uh, Hotch points out that they're looking for uh, a homicidal criminal that's in a neighborhood populated by criminals. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I'm like, at this point, all right, thanks for the breakdown, guys. Let's just get to the episode. Yeah, this this went on for way too long. It, it, like, look, I, I enjoy the show most of the time, but I was like, yeah, JJ, we saw it. We saw it. We know. Come on. Move it along. Move it along. Move it along. Yeah. Although one uh, sort of note, interesting note here. We have Reed, who gets to say the dramatic pre-credit statement instead of Gideon, like usual. <laughs> um, and Reed says, we have no evidence, no apparent interaction between the unsub and the victims pre- or post-mortem, and an indistinguishable M.O. Should be simple. Except he didn't really say should be simple. He kind of, he goes, should be simple. <laughs> yeah. Very, very sarcastic. Yeah. Like, uh, oh, great. This is my job. Wonderful. <laughs> Yes. And lest we forget, I know you and I haven't, and I'm sure our audience hasn't, but uh, Reed is probably a drug addict at this point. <laughs> well, but you know, here's my question for you. And and again, yes, I'm a grizzled veteran, folks, but, you know, I take them as they come and I don't reveal anything that's going on over here. Is he? <laughs> is anything he's doing here really a sign? Because when he's <laughs> on the drugs... Look, when he when 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 he had been kidnapped by by Dawson Leary, uh, and he he you know would have these hallucinations like no please no no, I mean he kind of got spacey. Um, is is he is he coming down from it and he's like angry? Has he overslept because he's been you know in a, in a drug stupor? We know he had the drugs, but he didn't take them last week. Even though we saw them in his pocket, he just never got around to taking them. Maybe he went home and just, you know, went, ah, and that's why he's, but I, I'm not really seeing, I'm seeing a personality change, absolutely, but it, I don't know that it's drug-related, really? Um, I felt like that's what we're kind of supposed to infer. 
all right, well, 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 we can discuss this by the end of the episode, too, but like, let's track it, because I just think if they were going to do that and make it, they'd make it blatantly obvious, because they, they're not afraid to hammer these points over and over. <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> so why are we getting so subtle about it here? <laughs> that is true. Anyway, after Reed says that line, we do have a quick cut to what looks like a tent shelter set up somewhere in the city and we see our unsub and we hear scary music and thunder and the camera zooms dramatically into his eyeball. Yes, yes. And we see it's a white dude. Right off the top, they make yes. sure to get a shot. No, what? Don't worry. It's a white guy, folks. Look We're at these blue eyes. <laughs> Look how blue his eyeball is. Oh, yeah. Because normally they leave you hanging with the unsub's identity. A lot long. I mean, you know, certainly some episodes you see who it is, and that's that's the point. We just got to catch the guy that we know who it is, uh, or the gal. I mean, some females can be the unsubs too, but you know, generally speaking, uh, a large chunk of these would be mysterious until they at least get on the scene and find some evidence. And that that's not the case here. They're like, no, no, look, this is the guy. Here he is. Here's his face. <laughs> <laughs> and we go to credits. I'm salty. We next get a shot of our jet flying along, and Gideon gives us our opening quote, which both the quotes this episode, I'm like, all right. <laughs> they just picked a quote. Anyway, um, he says, uh, Our life is made by the death of others, Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Sure. All right. Okay. We cut inside the jet and the team is going over the victimology as usual. They can't narrow down a specific type since all three of the victims were different. Oh, really? All three of the victims were different? There's no connection? They were from different socioeconomic I feel like we've heard that before. Yes. Oh, my gosh. We're like six minutes in and they've said that four times already. Oh, (laughs) This episode struck me as they had a really interesting idea. They had 15 minutes of a story, and then everything else of this is stretch. Stretch. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. We uh, have Reed now, and he's surmising that since this attacker used blitz attacks, he probably lacks interpersonal skills, had to coerce the victims into coming close to him, and he used an element of surprise, so maybe he stalked his victims first. Morgan and Gideon are going to go to the last crime scene to check it out. And the rest of the team is going to go to the precinct to set up. I'm like, good, we're there. But no, we get a little bit more. Reed says he's going to map out the area to try to find any place the victims might have visited. And Prentice is like, oh, that's cool. I'll, I'll help you out with that. And Reed tells her he can handle it. And Prentice is like, well, I wasn't suggesting that you couldn't. And Reed, I would say he's a bit snappish here because I think he's a drug addict now. (laughs) And uh, he says, you know what? I'll help you with it means. And uh, Hotch is like, Reed, STFU, Prentice is going to help you. And Reed is like, fine, and rolls his eyes like, whatever, dad. Uh, (laughs) Very teenage son, yes. (laughs) I don't know anything about that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Not at all. Uh, Hotch reminds them that uh, they're going to a high crime area Uh, (laughs) once again. So no one goes anywhere alone. 
Everyone and, make sure to grab your part, your buddy's hand, your travel buddy, and nobody <laughs> go without anybody else. And we're going to count everybody's heads every 15 minutes. Like, you're FBI agents. Every time you go out, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> we get <Yes>. that. <laughs> yes, indeed. And we see... In fact, I, I got to say, it actually would have been better there if Reed had reacted to that. Everyone make sure you stay with somebody else. Yeah, JJ. You stay with somebody else. <laughs> Hello. And then maybe I wouldn't be a drug addict. <laughs> um, the, the seeds are there. and uh. We do see before we cut away to read. And he's doing some fidgeting that, again, I, I am going with the drug addict fidgeting. But again, maybe it's just read being read. Uh, okay. I can I can go with that too. We uh, next have a strange little scene <laughs> as they <laughs> drive into Houston, and I suppose it's just to set up the location. But the car, the the SUV is driving through the area, and it, it was almost like the opening credits to The Sopranos or Nine Hundred Two One Zero or any or, place yeah. where, where the location is important. Yes, Miami Vice. There, it's 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 <laughs> yes. They're driving along and we cut outside. It's a seedy neighborhood. And then we, we're looking in the car's rear view mirror. I mean, the uh, the side mirror. And it's just, yeah, we get it. I felt like it was a little bit too. Yeah, my, 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 my only note for this, this was montage of Houston's Fifth Ward, parentheses. We have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I really, I felt like whatever song was playing should have been Woke Up This Morning. Got myself gun. Yeah. Throw them all together in a medley. Yes. Anyway, we are in Houston's Fifth Ward. We get it again. Show done, done, done. Um, so where are they? <laughs> yeah. Something about Whitney Houston. I don't know. Uh, Gideon and Morgan, they arrive at the crime scene and they meet up with our local law for this episode, Detective Fuller. Detective Fuller, although we won't get his name for a good five minutes, uh, which, again, I, I always do look at that for the tip off. Like, exactly how important is this character going to be to the show? And he didn't introduce himself. We didn't hear his name. It was only like about five minutes later when one another officer went, hey, Fuller. I'm like, oh, I guess his name is Fuller. And I went back and wrote Fuller. Right. He he uh, thanks them uh, for helping out. So we feel like <clears throat> this is going to be a, a cop that appreciates their, their being there. He's over his head. <laughs> yes. He tells them about the security guard that was patrolling the construction sites in the neighborhood and he, he, he tells us everything that happened in the opening scene that we already saw. Mm -hmm. okay. And mentions mm -hmm. that there was some equipment vandalized, which we saw getting vandalized. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. He doesn't think that the murder was related to the smashed equipment. It was more like something that kids would do. And by the way, the security guard is missing a pistol. Which we saw. <laughs> I mean, it's good confirmation. That that that's fine confirmation because obviously, again, Morgan and Hodge would have known that. But it's like everything. We we know. We, yeah. Yep. We we know. This could have been an email. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably in JJ's file if they looked, because <laughs> she's on point. So Morgan asks them about the area, 
He says it's pretty empty around here, except for we got a liquor store and a locksmith over there. Uh, and there's a vacant building right there. So Morgan says he's going to go check it out. Meanwhile, this is when that other cop yells for Detective Fuller. So actually, actually, let me let, let's not close over this. This is exactly what the exchange was. Mor- Morgan is told that there's a vacant building over there. and He just walks <laughs> off towards it. And Fuller says, where he going? And Gideon says, hmm, we'll find out when we get there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I write, did the script not get finished yet? <laughs> Have they not dropped off the sides for you? <laughs> because it seemed like they were making this up as they went along. <laughs> Where's he going? Oh, no. <laughs> not a script. You'll let us know. Let's see if it becomes important. <laughs> Morgan's the only one. Morgan has the only copy. <laughs> They wanted to keep it, you know, under wraps. They didn't want anybody getting any of the details. So it's 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 in a different color ink that you can't uh, copy <laughs> in a copy machine. Oh man, I I'm sorry. This this I I think I have seen this episode once. I, I I think I have probably skipped over this episode every single time I run through this season until now. I don't think it's in the regular rotation when they air it on like We or Sundance or whatever. Because even, even they're like, nah, how many episodes we got? <laughs> Skip. This one is not, but yeah. I, so, you know, I'm, I'm, finding, I'm finding it very amusing to find every single spot in this, in this episode. And I will point out every single time <laughs> I notice, like, they, they don't have the script. <laughs> they haven't finished it yet. They just turned on the cameras and said, go. Uh, <laughs> go. Well, how, we finished? There's only 10 more minutes. Right. All right. <laughs> Oh boy! Only come on, do better. Only. <laughs> All right, the uniform calls Fuller over. Yay! So yes, the uh, uniform calls Fuller over, and he's got a mother and her son who have come up, and apparently the son is one of the vandals from the night before, and mom is doing that tough love thing because you know her son came home covered in paint, so she knows he was up to no good with his no good friends. So she's doing that thing where she's going to make, you know, she's going to show him, you know, you own up to what you did. And she happened to see the cops that were over there. So she went over there. And I got to say, the only reason and the only reason I buy any of this is because it should be pointed out that Detective Fuller is a black man. And I, I fully believe that she would go to the black police officer in charge. I don't necessarily know that she would approach Gideon if he was by himself or a gaggle of white cops. Yes. So she tells her son, Kelvin, she says, uh, he won't be doing that again. Right, Kelvin? And Kelvin is like, no, ma'am. And uh, she asks how much damage was done and then is shocked when Fuller tells her that they are there because of the murder last night. The mom is like, murder? And Gideon says, yeah, the security guard. And immediately Kelvin is like, no, 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 no. He chased us, but I lost him. I swear I didn't touch him. And his mom all of a sudden is in a different mode now. She's like, don't you say another word, Kelvin. Uh, she was. She, repeat it. Yeah, repeat after me. Attorney. <laughs> yes. Because uh, I'm sure she was just thinking about some vandalism. and I'll repaint the, I'll repaint the wall. <laughs> right. Spray paint it over or something. Yeah. But Gideon is actually says, you know what? I just have one question for you. Then you can go. Did the guard fire his weapon at you? 
And Kelvin says, no, he shot in the air to scare us. And Gideon is like, cool, you can go. And the mom doesn't seem to believe it. She's like, we can go. And Gideon says, yes. And she takes off like a shot before they change their mind. As soon as she hears they can go. Boom. This was Roadrunner leaving wild E. Coyote. <laughs> and then the shadow falls down. Oh, yeah. She could. Great acting by this woman. She could not have gotten out there fast enough. We free to go. Murder. See ya. Yeah. Don't say our last name as we leave. <laughs> Yeah, and and Fuller is like, hey, you just kind of sent away the last person to see our victim alive. And Gideon says, hey, a boy that that's that frightened of his mother and also that slight doesn't have the skill, courage, or size to kill the way our unsub does. And at this moment, Morgan calls them over to the abandoned building so we can finally learn what he was up to. Uh, They go in. and Well, and again, here's a point where you hear Morgan say, hey, hey, guys. And then we see him open up the door <laughs> so that they could go in. I'm like, why? <laughs> why did he shut the door? If only he was going to stick his head out and go, hey, guys, come here. He shut the door behind him and is now reopening the door, which is like a heavy door. Like, really? Yeah. Again, did they have a shooting script? <laughs> I don't think they did. So Morgan uh, calls them over. They go in. Uh, He points out someone was living in there. There's evidence of it. You know, there's a dirty blanket. There's hamburger wrappers and soda cans. And Gideon says, those kids weren't the only ones there. Did he say they weren't the... I felt like he said... I wrote he said they weren't the only ones living there. But that doesn't make sense. He wouldn't no, they, have said they weren't, the, they weren't the only ones there. There's someone yeah. who's living here. Yeah, I, I think he probably just got it mixed up there. But yeah, the point being is it does seem like someone was here and now they're not. So, yeah, you know, you're looking for someone who might have killed the security guard. Well, here's a good place to start looking for prints and stuff. Uh, do, do, your, do your cop stuff, guys. <laughs> <laughs> we cut to Reed staring at a map and there's loud construction noise going on in the background. <laughs> Exactly. I'm sorry. It's a, it's a noise I can do. I'm sorry. No, I, hey, I'm all for it. it. I think it helps with the presentation. So he's in the precinct office with Prentice and Hotch, and JJ walks in, and she, she has some cookies that apparently one of the detective's wives made for him. Did they have no way to get her into the scene? <laughs> And uh, I'm like, wow. So a random detective's wife (laughs) found out that the FBI was coming in and said, you know what? They need some cookies. So JJ (laughs) makes a joke about Southern hospitality and Reed. (laughs) I guess guess Houston is is Southern, but I I don't know. I don't consider Texas to be Southern hospitality. That's 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 Georgia, Bama, Mississippi. I'm not saying it's not the South, but it's the Southwest. It's a, it's its own animal, and Texas will tell you Texas is different. Mm-hmm. But again, I just can't go to the fact that you know, with all the stuff they could have had her come in on, they decided to have her walk in with cookies. Oh, okay, it was a it was a choice. <laughs> it was a again, choice. Hey guys, hey guys, we really don't have anything. We we didn't give you any lines. Just read dealing with lines to see. Just roll with it. Here, JJ, 
bring in some cookies. And so Reed can't hear anything they're saying because of all the construction noise. And uh, JJ says, you know, the city is trying to return to its splendor. And that means Houston's poorest are being kicked out of their homes. Reed is like annoyed. He He's finally shut the window. And I'm like, maybe you should have shut the window earlier if you <laughs> knew that construction noise was such a bother. But uh, <laughs> although, although, although the readness of it all when he gets focused on something that's all he's focusing on and now he was trying to focus not on the job he had been doing but on a conversation that he really couldn't hear so at that point perhaps it got a little more frustrating he was able to block it out when it was just himself in his own head yeah maybe i'm trying i don't i don't want to i don't want to criticize each and every line because we'll be here for a while (laughs) (laughs) so at this point gideon walks in and uh, says that they think their unsub might be homeless. He appears to have been living in a building next to where the security guard was attacked. And Reed has the location of the three different murders mapped out and says they're all near abandoned buildings. Yeah, he actually, he said the last three murders. Yeah. Which also jumped out at me. I was like, no, the only three murders. <laughs> yeah, I thought the same thing. I, I didn't write it to... But, but I did but think I, the same I mean, thing. My point being is that this script is not well written. Yeah. It, clearly they, the, and, and I, I don't necessarily, a lot of times these writer's rooms become patchwork scripts and like they, you know, someone has to take over and rewrite it and things get changed all the time. So I, I'm not blaming only. It's not only, only fault. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. You uh, don't have to be lonely. <laughs> scriptwritersonly.com yeah and maybe you know maybe our uh, director Mr. Showalter could have noticed something a little didn't seem right but a script supervisor the script yeah that's Thank their you. job isn't it that is their job <laughs> oh boy you you keep going I'm finding the script supervisor's name because I want a name to hang on it <laughs> So Hodge points out that this guy appears to know the neighborhood. So maybe he was recently displaced. And Prentice says, yeah, maybe that could even be a motive. So Gideon says, well, let's get a list of all the residents who may have been kicked out of their homes due to the gentrification. And he tells yes. Prentice and Reed to check out the shelters. And Prentice is like, yeah, we're on it. Unless, are you okay with that, Reed? And Reed doesn't really pick up on that. He's like, yeah, I'm fine with it. And they leave. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad they, they at least they continued that tension. That They didn't drop it now that they were on the plane. So that, that's good. Sometimes they do the jet stuff separate. They mm-hmm. kind of fill in the, use it to fill in the blanks and heal the wounds, things they, that, that were missed in shooting elsewhere. So uh, there is that. By the way, Rick Dunkel, script coordinator, Liz Graham, script supervisor. It's Rick and Liz's fault. Mm. Mm-mm-mm. We should try to get them on for an interview and ask them what happened. <laughs> Season two. Um, anyway. So, yeah. So, the Prentice and Reed walk off and Hotch says that they need to check also with the mental hospitals in the area. See if any anyone was recently released into the streets. JJ decides to get on that. And Hotch tells Morgan to check recent police records for a pattern of theft of things like food, blankets, toiletries. Because maybe that can help them find a suspect that way. 
Morgan says cool and immediately calls Garcia <laughs> to, no, to do what he no, was just told. No, he does told. not, Kintad. Au contraire, he does not immediately call Garcia. He stands there looking around the police station for 12 seconds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Stretch! <Yeah>. Stretch! <laughs> <laughs> okay, good point. He did... It just, it just, he, well, he walked out. He looked. I see. We, we see a cop arresting someone in the background. Is he? Oh, is he? Is he going over to the cop? Is he gonna? No. Then he just turns around, whoops around. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> yes, he gets Garcia on the phone. They have their usual flirty, flirty, with Garcia possibly admitting to having some scandalous Photoshop pics of Morgan. <laughs> And uh, he finally gets to the point of having her check the Fifth Ward police records, to which she rightly says, uh, dude, aren't you like in there right now? <laughs> uh, Are those records not mere feet away from you that you could do this yourself? <laughs> you jerk trying to pawn off your work on me. What do you have time to just stand around that office doing nothing? Apparently. Apparently he does. <laughs> and uh, Morgan explains that they're stretched out pretty thin there. And plus, we need to get you into this episode, Garcia, so be happy. And, uh, I, I, also, I also like the fact he did say stretched out, almost as if the director was in a tear, stretch it out, stretched out. Oh, I wasn't <laughs> supposed to say that out loud. <laughs> so Garcia is like, all right. And so he also asks her be for some before and after pictures of demolitions in the area going back a week or so. Maybe they can nail down a building where the unsub may have worked or lived in. Is this the most shoehorned thing in <laughs> you have ever seen in a Criminal Minds episode thus far? I think it might be, AJ, because I was like, what? <laughs> he says to her, hey, do the work that I was just given. No, no, because they're busy and, and, and they probably don't have a great filing system. Okay, fair. And then she's like, oh, and apropos of nothing. <laughs> satellite imagery of any building that has been demolished in the past week before and after why <laughs> why maybe that info will be useful later on in the episode well, AJ yeah, something, even Garcia, I'm sure if I'm Garcia I'm like why yes what exactly am I looking for with that like, what do you need them for? Uh, I don't know. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, if, if, you, if you don't just say, oh, well, this is Chekhov satellite photos, then you don't understand foreshadowing. <laughs> this was sick shadowing. Uh, <laughs> yes, indeed. So uh, he tells Garcia before he hangs up that he better not find any Photoshop pics of him. And she's like, oh, trust me, you ain't going to find them. <laughs> that was a good line. They, their, their banter was great. Uh, you know, everything else, uh, you know, but their banter, spot on, aces, probably the best of their banter I've heard so far. So kudos. I want to give kudos where they're due and kudos are due. <laughs> we next cut to. I also have cookies. This woman just dropped off if you want them with your kudos. Yeah. <laughs> kudos and cookies. You can't miss. I'm sorry. This is going to be a long one, folks. I can't let this one go. Well, the ground is so fertile, AJ. <laughs> there is so much to reap and so much to sow. Yes. We cut now and we see a community center and it's got construction workers around it and they've got chains hooked up to the community center. And yes, it's being demolished. And then all the poor neighborhood people are standing behind a fence 
looking at their community center being torn down. They are clearly not happy about the situation. Does it strike you? Did it strike you that this was like practical that they actually did this and like they got actual local residents from wherever they were shooting to just stand around this place and say, all right, now when it comes down, go, ah, and then they'll go, ah, <laughs> it did. I would say practical would not be the word I would have come up with, <laughs> AJ. Yeah, it was kind of a weird little scene. I, I mean, I get they wanted to show the fence with the picture of the new shopping mall that's going up. And, oh, we have to feel bad for all of these people. They're losing their community center. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, clearly it's, it's the middle of the day and you know, none of these people have jobs because they have time to stand here and go, oh, <laughs> Well, it's the Fifth Ward, and only criminals live there, according to... Fair enough. So, they work at night. (laughs) (laughs) They're doing recon during the day, my friend. Oh, God. This episode. (laughs) Yeah, so... This whole episode is under construction. (laughs) The construction crew starts to bring down the building, and then we cut to an underground sewer that must be right there, because... Our unsub is there, who was apparently trying to catch some Zs. But now, you know, having a building demolished over you will cause you to wake up. And it also caused lots of falling from the ceiling, debris and whatnot. And our unsub glances down the sewer and we see a kid standing there wearing pajamas, it looked like. And... uh, I don't recall it being pajamas. I mean, I I, I didn't note it. I, I thought it was just kind of like a uh, flannel shirt, blue. I mean, definitely a flannel could be pajamas, so possibly. But I, I thought it was more like, you know, a, a, a grunge look kind of. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's interesting. I could see it being either one. I took it as pajamas because it was kind of oversized. But, sure, uh, I mean, yeah. we, well, he was, he's not there long for us to really analyze the situation. Yeah, because when our unsub is saying, hey, get out, it's not safe. And he looks back and the camera cuts back and there's nobody there, AJ. Clearly he saved him. He heard him say, hey, get out, it's not safe, and ran away. (laughs) No big deal. There you go. We cut to above and we see another construction worker jackhammering. And then there's another construction worker that walks up and there's a manhole cover. So he opens up the manhole cover and climbs down it going into the sewer uh, right where our unsub was. But our unsub jumps the construction worker from behind. And again, I think there was another lion roaring. <laughs> there it is. And then we hear a neck crack and we go to a break. Hey, kudos. Uh, you know, if I'm going to be criticizing people, kudos to the Foley artist for the uh, crack your bone sound. Because that was loud, proud and ooh, very, very cringeworthy. Yes. In all the right ways. And they uh, had another lion roar. I still don't get it. <laughs> all right. That's fine. We uh, next come back from our break and Detective Fuller's at this new crime scene with Gideon and Morgan. He explains that the victim went down into the sewer and like the next second he was down there dead. Uh, they look at the manhole cover and Gideon's like, well, someone's got to go down there. <laughs> and Morgan is like, oh, man, because <laughs> uh, he knows it's him that's got to go. 
And he's like, this ain't cool. He tells Gideon that he's putting in for hazard pay as he starts to go down. And Gideon's like, good luck with that. So he climbs down into the sewer and is is yelling up to Gideon as he's describing the place. It's pretty clean, actually. The trash has been cleared away. But there is another dirty blanket. And he says something else rolled up in the corner. And that's all we ever get, unless I'm wrong, AJ. I don't think they ever identified what the something else rolled up in the corner was. No, it, it just was... Uh... It looked like a sleeping bag-ish type material, but yeah. not, not like a formal sleeping bag, but yeah, just like cloth or, you know, some sort of fabric so you could roll up. Uh, yeah, again, I think it's one of these things like, yeah, we'll analyze it. If it's important, we'll, we'll come up. Or again, perhaps Morgan was actually just describing, <laughs> Shamar Moore was describing what he saw in the tunnel. Yeah, it, yeah. we've got, um, yeah, something else back there and... Uh, Something rolled up in the corner. When you say something rolled up, I expect it to be unrolled, so I know what it is. That's all I'm saying. He did not exactly do the most thorough investigation of this. (laughs) Granted, again, I don't think there was any direction in here. Like it was like the three of them were going like, "Well, the script says one of us has to go down." (laughs) I'm not doing it. Come on, Mandy. Nashima, it's you. Hey, I'm just a guest here. I'm doing nothing. I don't have to be here next week. You guys figure it out. So, uh, yeah. So Morgan is saying, hey, he made himself a place to sleep, but he cleared it all away. Looks a lot like the last place he was in. And Gideon's like, huh, he's got a new temporary home. And Morgan says, it looks like the jackhammer knocked the ceiling loose and it fell down all around him. And then Gideon says, so it's all about survival. He carved out a place of his own. He saw a threat. He attacked. And Morgan, who has now climbed back up to the sidewalk, says, that's what got to be why the victims were so random. He didn't have any kind of relationship with them. They just happened to be intruding on his home. And Gideon says, well, they need to see the other crime scenes then. So Fuller says, sure, let's go. Yeah, I, again, just another example there of, of Morgan doing half the scene from down below and shouting up and not knowing where to come up, I thought. <laughs> Yeah, just a weird scene, weird, weird uh, staging. We next have a scene. AJ, I guess its importance was to show the ongoing saga of Reed and Prentice. So I I can accept it, but I also feel like this was probably a time filler scene. <laughs> but anyway, it, it, well, it was a time filler scene, but at least yeah, it, at least it's it's for the Emily Reed relationship that's been at loggerheads all episode. So it's a way to really get them alone and let's let's see what how far this this dispute's gonna go it was it was way too long yes but this whole sequence at least for character development uh, i guess is important Mm, yeah sure so we cut to the uh homeless shelter and and reed and prentice are talking to an administrator there to see if she's noticed anything unusual and Prentice tries to start off the interview tactfully, but Reed immediately pretty much cuts her off, gets to the point. They're looking for a murderer. Guess what? He may even be up in here in this room right now as we speak, basically, is what Reed cuts to uh, after a few quick questions. And Prentice is like, yo, but Reed goes on. He says, have you noticed anyone acting paranoid or displaying an explosive, unprovoked burst of violence? Uh, no? Okay. Well, here's our card. Let us know if you hear anything. And he turns around and walks out. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he... I mean, uh, it, it, under no circumstances uh, is Reed correct 
in anything he's doing in this scene. Reed is, is in the wrong, and it's just like, just a, he's not even looking at this woman he's talking to, because look at her face like, what? Huh? Huh? <laughs> yeah, FBI? What? Wait, what? Exactly. Uh, I don't even th- and the actress who's playing this this anti-administration lady, uh, I don't even think she understands what her character's reactions are supposed to be because it's just, it's such a, a weirdly out of character thing. But it's like, okay, so hey, you're FBI. Uh, I, I, you know, I saw you there. I'm, 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 I'm gonna help you. Anything you need, I will help you. Someone's here to kill you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I thought she was gonna get upset, like, look, just because these people may have some mental problems. That's where I thought it was going. And then she's like, what? They're going to kill me? Oh, no, they're not killing you. Oh, I'll do out again. Anything you need to help. <laughs> it was just yeah. a, a weird, weird scene. Yeah. So Prentice tells her after she's like, murder? And Prentice is like, no, no one's been killed in a shelter. We're just acting with an abundance of caution. And if you hear anything unusual happening, you know, give us a call. And then she goes outside to confront Reed asking him what the hell was that in there and Rita's like what are you talking about and she says uh he may even be in this room as we speak we don't have anything to support that and Rita's like well should I have pretended that there's no danger and she tells him that basically he left that woman afraid of every man who's going to come into the shelter at that point and Reed says well until they find the unsub how is that a bad thing and she (laughs) asks this is Houston's fifth ward Yes. It's only criminals here. Uh, She asks Reed what's wrong with him. And Reed's like, well, what do you mean? And she says she's never seen him act like this. And Reed is like, oh, really? You've in the months that you've known me, you've never seen me act this way. No offense, Emily, but you don't really know what you're talking about, do you? And he just kind of stalks off. And I'm thinking... Hey, Emily, you're a profiler. What is his behavior suggesting to you? <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, I will grant Reed the substance of his argument. You don't know me well enough to know that my behavior is so out of line for me, for you have only known me for four months. Dear good Miss Prentice, I don't know you well enough to know if this attack on my good name is out of character for now. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, clearly, like, you, you don't have to know him for more than a couple of minutes to know, like, dude, what the heck was that? For, I know what an FBI agent's supposed to act like, and that weren't it. And that's the comeback yeah. there, so. Mm-hmm. 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 You got it. We cut next to Prentice and Reed, and they're arriving back at the precinct, and Reed tells Hotch that they've got nothing from the shelter and Hotch tells him, oh, that's because he's not in a shelter. Uh, I just talked to Gideon and Morgan. They think he's killing to protect some makeshift shelter of his own. And Reed asks, well, are they ready to do a profile? And Hotch says, no, they're still missing something. How did this homeless man learn to kill so efficiently? They need to get lucky. They need to have this guy make a mistake. We next cut to a back alley of a building We see a man taking out some trash, and he notices that there's a person squatting near the dumpsters. He tries to roust him out, yelling at him in English and Spanish, telling him there's shelters nearby. He finally grabs a big stick from the trash and bangs it on the side of the dumpster. And all of a sudden, our unsub rushes out and starts to attack this man, and he gets him in a chokehold. But then we hear a little girl screaming out, Papa! 
and the unsub turns around and sees her there crying. And he turns to her and lets the man go. And the man starts to turn him around, but the unsub gives him quick old uppercut, knocking him out. He turns back and looks at the girl crying and starts to walk towards her as we cut to a break. Yeah, it's uh, not the most exciting cut to break <laughs> I've seen, uh, especially as we resolve it, the way we resolve it when we come back. But okay, I mean, it shows that whatever the the little girl's screams kind of snapped him out of whatever trance the unsub was in because it was like, you know, he seems to be like this killing machine <laughs> and you know he saw the kid in the drain and he's like whoo he sees this girl whoo so i don't know it, it, at least there's some sort of consistency uh, and at least we know this girl's real yes <laughs> this girl exists in in our dimension we come back and we're at the precinct and the little girl and her father have made it to the precinct so i guess it's the they're in the neighborhood, I guess, uh, because uh, the little girl rushes in. She's saying, please help my daddy. He's there and he says, I need help. I was attacked. JJ runs over to them instead of any of the other cops that work there. But OK, yeah, you know, <laughs> JJ's always got to be, you know, the, the one who's paying the most attention. <laughs> yes. So she calls out for help. And uh, the man is asking her to call his house to and, and let them know to come get his daughter. We cut to a little bit. Later, Prentice and Hutch are talking to the little girl whose name is Maria, who wants to know if her papa is going to be okay. And Hutch says yes. They ask her what happens, what happened. She tells them what we saw already. And then she says she thought uh, that he was going to hit her too, but he just looked at her funny. And when they ask what that meant, she says he looked sad. He asked her if she was okay. Why was she crying? And then her father grabbed her, and then they were able to run away. They ask her for a description of the man. She says he was white, tall, dirty, and he had a ring like Hotch's. I was like, ooh, it was Hotch! It was Hotch! (laughs) (laughs) And come to think of it, he wore a coat, a suit like Hotch's. (laughs) That would have been a twist I wouldn't have seen coming. But then uh, we see a, a, a older lady arrive, and it's Maria's abuela who's come to pick her up. Uh, Maria rushes over to her. Yeah, I, I, it, there was an interesting thing at the start of the scene is that Emily is apparently fluent in Spanish because she is sitting there talking to the girl in Spanish. But this girl speaks English just fine, and the rest of the scene is in English. So, like, why did we need that? If not to plant mm-hmm. the seed that, you know, oh, hey. Emily really knows Spanish, but then they should have talked in Spanish. Like, I, like, I just didn't. Right. It was just clunky. It was very, very clunky. And, you know, you know and we, Abuela. Oh, yes, yes. Okay, Abuela. We all know Abuela. We, we've all seen Handy Manny. And <laughs> 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 There's always an Abuela on any show. With, with you know. Do we have any families? I mean, it's, it, it's becoming a stereotype that any family where they speak Spanish has to have an Abuela. It's like, yeah. You could, some families don't have Abuelas. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, hey, look, my, my family, my side of the family, we only had bro- boys. We only have uncles. I'm sorry. Tio's only. <laughs> Tio's only. Hey, as long as Rita Moreno is around and needs a role, I'm willing to have every family have an abuela if it's Rita Moreno. Look, maybe, maybe they're dead. I'm sorry. It happens. It's the fifth ward. It's dangerous. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. It just, no. it's basically, yeah. It, again, this is a stretch scene. Like, we didn't need this. 
it, this could very easily have been in, in, a, in a more interesting episode. This could have been, well, we talked to the girl and she told us, she gave us this description. <laughs> Boom, one sentence, right. out. Uh, there you go. Uh, so. Over and done. But okay, we're looking for a white man, tall and dirty, with a wedding ring. <laughs> <laughs> that narrows it down. Uh, <laughs> we cut to a bit later. Reed is looking at his map again in the uh, precinct. Hotch is saying that he asked that the unsub asked Maria if she was okay and why was she crying. So that means he wasn't aware of what he was doing to them. Uh, Garcia calls in at this point. Uh, she's found something in the comparison pictures. Uh, that Morgan had asked her to get. Um, she calls Reed because apparently Morgan was unavailable, and she did ask about that first. Yeah, wh- why isn't Morgan answering his phone? Maybe he's underground or something. I don't know what that means. Anyway, yeah. he's cool. He's okay. All right, <laughs> fine. I'll talk to you. <laughs> so she shows them the satellite pictures, and there is an SOS uh, laid out on top of the building. It's made from various debris and whatnot. And uh, this was the top of the building where the security guard was killed. This guy is asking for help. And uh, Reed says, wait, guys, listen outside. And again, we hear all of the construction noise and loud booming of the construction equipment. And Hotch says, chaos, SOS. And Prentice says, he's a war veteran. All right, let's, 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 let's no, no, no. We got a time out here because first of all, Emily just broke the world's long jump record, leaping to that conclusion. <laughs> Wait a second, I hear construction. There's SOS, SOS and construction. It's got to be that he's a war veteran, like A to B to Z. I, okay, you can get there in a few baby steps, but anyway, I also she said Garcia calls. I have those pictures. Do you see it yet? They're still loading. Yes, I see it, Hush says. How could he possibly see the picture is still loading? (laughs) And then they have to magnify this thing times 10,000. Big, 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 big. To see a tiny little SOS on the roof. And again, they said, yes, an SOS on the roof, which they said before they did the magnification for the tiny little... Come on! Match this thing better. This is this is production value. This is editing. This is this is not on the actors. This isn't even on the script. This is on like the editing and the direction. Like they didn't have a shot or something. Like pace this thing better. And then okay, well hurry it up. We don't have time to have a long explanation here. Just say he's a war veteran and we'll move on. This is, is awful. The scene is awful. 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 Yeah. Well, congratulations to Emily. I wonder. I wonder what song she'll choose for the podium when she receives her gold medal (laughs) for our next scene we cut to Hotch who's uh, on the radio with Gideon with the news that the unsub left a distress signal on the roof of one of the buildings whoop whoop title 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 (laughs) that was so lame I was like come on it's like distress signal distress is like it's not even necessary I mean it's it's not even a word that was important in any way, and that's our episode title. Yeah, they could have easily know. called. I mean, I get that they don't want to reveal anything, so you want to try and keep 
the whole thing in mystery, so you don't want to do anything that's going to direct us towards a war zone. Or, or Although war zone would have worked just fine, because they could have just said early on, like, Houston's Fifth Ward is a war zone. That actually probably would yeah. have been the best title, now that I think about it. So I'm going to, I'm going to just retract anything else. War zone. War zone. There you go. War zone. I like it. I would, uh, yeah, that would have that would have made me happier than distress. Especially because Hodge <laughs> says, you know, he thinks he's in a war zone. War zone. Yep. That becomes a bum 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 title. Wee wee wee. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Morgan is talking about the guy. Says, well, his quick strikes are consistent with trained military tactics. And Prentice says, well, he must have served in a place that looked or sounded like this ward. A war zone. Wow. <laughs> A war zone. <laughs> so Gideon says, well, we were right about him being homeless in a sense, because wherever he is in his mental state, he's certainly not at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, God. Who wrote this? I know who wrote this. <laughs> Only. <laughs> Only. Hotch says, this guy might not even be aware that he's killing. And Detective Fuller is like, wait, how is that? And uh, Reed then goes in to explain PTSD. I mean, he starts off with, in the First World War, it was called shell shock. And then in the Second World War, it was called battle fatigue. But nowadays, we call it PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, war-related. A side effect of which is slipping into disassociative states Gideon says he's reliving a memory. He's trapped in his head in some war zone. And Morgan says he's hiding and defending himself from the enemy. So JJ asks, how do we find someone that's trapped in their own head? And Prentice says, well, he has a wedding ring. Somebody's missing him. And uh, Gideon says, oh, that's good. That's good. He's going to wait with Detective Fuller. Uh, Morgan has one more crime scene to check. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna... probably underground. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hotch tells uh, JJ that she should check the missing persons reports, see if anybody matches their description. Tall, white, dirty. <laughs> uh, and it would have been filed recently, with like within the last two or three days. One of my favorite Weird Al parodies, Tall, White, and Dirty. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> White and dirty. Uh, we got, cut to our I, unsub. I am so homeless. Gonna kill you. Cause I'm white and dirty. <laughs> we cut to our unsub. He's in another alley. He's digging through some trash. Starts to eat a sandwich she finds there. He hears a young couple approaching, having a conversation. And as they pass the alley, we see that he isn't there. He's actually called, climbed up on a small alcove. And he's watching the couple as they're walking towards their car. And uh, he turns around and we see a fire behind him like he's back in, in the war zone. And we see the boy from before in the flannel. And the unsub says, hey, you shouldn't be out there. It isn't safe. And we hear automatic gunfire in the background. He says, it isn't safe. And when he turns around to look at the boy again, He's not there. He's gone. He's a bother trying to find him. He's not there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got me singing songs, Criminal Minds, because nothing is okay. We get, again, this whole episode could have been an email. <laughs> yeah. After a break, we're back at the precinct, AJ, and a man and a woman are entering. 
They go sit down and JJ tells Hotch they are Dana Woodridge and Max Weston. Uh, Her husband and his best friend, Roy Woodridge, has been missing since Tuesday. So we cut to them uh, interviewing them. Dana Woodridge is Woodridge is saying that's a hard name for some well, reason just, for me to say. Just call her Dana. <laughs> Dana is saying <laughs> that uh, he was on his way home from work. He called before he left from his office and said they needed to talk when they when he got home, and he sounded upset. And that was the last that she heard from him. She doesn't know what he was upset about. And Max says Dana called him that night when Roy didn't show up. And at this point, at this point, and for the rest of the scene and this episode, I don't know if you were feeling this, but these actors are playing it as if they are having an affair. Yep. I thought that the whole time. <laughs> Nothing comes of this. We don't hear confirmation or denial one way or the other. It doesn't, it's never brought up. But these actors are believe, believe that they're having an affair because that's yes. the vibe they say. Ooh, the stink is rich. Mm, yeah. I felt the 100% the same cool, thing, cool, AJ. Cool, cool. And <laughs> yes. So the next morning, they filed a missing persons report. Roy worked as a security consultant in a security firm. Gideon asks if her husband ever served in combat. Was he a war veteran? And Max answers that actually, they both were special ops. But Roy retired shortly after things went bad in Mogadishu. And Reed asks if he displays any sort of behavioral tics, certain everyday things that makes him jumpy or startled. Do they make him jumpy or startled? And Dana is like, why? Is this going to help you guys to find him? Max says, yes, he had a hard time over there. And you do bring some things home with you. Dana says, yes, he has a hard time with loud noises. He can't be in crowds. He has nightmares. Wakes up in cold sweats. Gets sick if he smells something burning like barbecue or gas or fire. He hits the letter Q. He- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If he sees the color red, he jumps up and down and goes, wee! <laughs> she has a laundry list. Why did she find the question so strange? Yep. I agree. <laughs> So Gideon asks what happened in Somalia, and Max is like, nothing, combat happened. And he gets up and says, you know what, I gotta go get some water. Gideon follows him out of the room. He basically says that Max must have known his friend was suffering from PTSD. He was changed, anxious, paranoid, distant. Max says, yes, he tried to get him to go into a vet center to talk about it to someone but Roy said he was all right. So Gideon asks him again, what happened in Somalia? What is he reliving? And Max is like, you can't tell Dana. He never wanted her to know. We cut back briefly to the office with Dana and the rest of them. And, I, and she wants to I, know I, what's... They, they yeah. cut back to Dana with the rest of them out of the office. And the comedy writer in me just had to laugh out loud as Hotch is pouring her a glass of water. And it just, that just made me laugh. It's like, I need water. Like, like he, as soon as he leaves the room, I can imagine like, Quick, get the pitcher out. <laughs> pour everyone a glass of water. Yeah. <laughs> He's not going to find any water out there. I have the only water. Pour, pour, pour. <laughs> I know. No, I'm making my own show here because I need to entertain myself. <laughs> I'm entertained and I, I, I'm liking this better than the show. So um, <laughs> Dana wants to know what's going on. And so they explain to her that there have been people hurt recently. And there may be someone lost on the streets who thinks he's still at war. And Dana says, well, Roy would never hurt innocent people. And why would he even be in this neighborhood they're talking about? 
And at that moment, Garcia calls in. They immediately let her know that Dana is with them before she starts talking because you never know what Garcia is going to say. And she may say something way inappropriate and offensive to the victim's wife or or I call him the victim, but, you know, Mr. Woodward. Yes, uh, the the unsub's wife. Yeah. Uh, But wouldn't the more prudent thing just simply be? Oh, Garcia, yes. Um, we are interviewing uh, uh, somebody for this case. Hang on a second. I'll take this outside. <laughs> yeah. Let's not have the rest of the conversation right in front of them. Yeah. On speakerphone. <laughs> oh. But Well, I found I found a truck that's clearly Roy's truck, and she's going to know it's Roy's truck immediately as soon as I describe it. So let me describe it. <laughs> Yes. So she says, yep, we've located the uh, an O2 white Ford F-150 pickup truck that was impounded, which, yes, immediately Dana goes, that's his truck. That's his truck. And uh, the car, the truck had a flat tire, was picked up on Lyon Street, about a quarter mile away from Highway 59. Dana says, you know, he takes the East Tex freeway to work every day. Prentice says, sorry to Mrs. Woodridge, but this is definitely your husband. Definitely your husband, but most likely your husband. Let, let, can we not speak in absolutes? <laughs> we we do yeah. make mistakes, and there are coincidences, but yeah, look, it's your husband. <laughs> so we have to find him before more people get um, <clears throat> hurt. <laughs> we cut back to Gideon talking to Max, who tells the story of what happened in Somalia, and we see flashbacks of the whole thing playing out, so... Just imagine that as I tell the story. Okay, and before, but before you get to tell the story, I will say again: some uh, who directed this? Who who directed this? He goes to the water cooler because he went for water. He takes a cup, he puts it under the water cooler, pulls the cup out, crumples the cup, and throws it down because he didn't actually fill it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> I need water. There's the water. I'm not actually going to pour water. Why am I holding a cup? <laughs> yeah. I should have just waited and had Hotch pour me some water, but I didn't know he had any. Um, okay, please. So, please yeah. tell me what happened uh, briefly. Please, briefly. We don't need the 15 minutes of, of video that they showed. What happened in Somalia? Yeah. So they were on an escort mission, AJ. They got ambushed. They had... Uh, they managed to escape, but they hid out for two days in a bunch of uh, abandoned buildings. People were looking for him. One night when he was sleeping, Roy was on watch, but he woke up, Max, I should say, and there was an AK-47 pointed right at him. Roy immediately bounded into action, snapped his neck and killed him. But it turns out that this guy that he attacked and killed was really just a child. Couldn't have been more than 11 or 12. And by the way, in the flashback, this is the kid that was in the flannel from before. Yeah, this is Ghost Kid. Just this to is, tie it all yes, together. This is the haunting Ghost Kid. And okay, war is horrible. He didn't mean to. He wouldn't have killed a kid ordinarily, but this kid would have shot his friend. This is war, and it's horrible, and and, and all that stuff. So yes, he killed the kid, and he was eleven and twelve, and that's going to mess you up absolutely. But there, no one is questioning that he's justified and the hero in this scenario, given the situation. They uh, finally found a radio. They called in for an extraction and Gideon asks if they put out an SOS. And Max is like, yeah, we used rocks to put an SOS in the dirt so that the Blackhawks could find them. How did you know that? And Max says, if this is him, 
If it is him, you're not going to find him. He's trained. He's skilled at survival. And Gideon says they also think he has a gun. And so Max tells him, yeah, guess what else? He doesn't miss. So you might want to be careful. And we cut to Roy sitting somewhere and he's having flashbacks to the kid and there's fire and gunshots. Yada, yada, yeah. yada. Can we go back a few more times? How much time do we need? All right. Sure. <laughs> but but we again, again we, we, yeah. uh, we do, starting with season two, we've certainly been, been noticing, we didn't have a ticking clock before. Now we have our ticking clock. It's This is the, oh no, he's, he's yeah. devolving and he has a gun and he knows how to use it. Now time is of the essence. We cut back to the station. Gideon is telling the team they need to put a SWAT team together to do a grid search going building to building. And Hotch says, oh, he's reliving the war, isn't he? And Gideon says, yes, he's, uh, it's a specific incident in which he killed a child. And Reed w- wonders what happens if he tries to fight the SWAT team. And we cut then to Dana Woodridge watching the SWAT team. Well, can I, can I, before we go to Dana, can I just say... Yeah, Reed essentially is saying, but um, guns, uh, guns, won't that be triggering? Uh, <laughs> waka waka, I'll show myself up. Good point, though. And we cut to Dana Woodridge. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole thing is that he thinks he's in a war yeah. environment, so let's bring in guns and so you know people in arm yeah. armor, and you know, that that'll help the situation. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, might have tried a different tactic here, but uh, Mrs. Woodridge is, Dana, is watching out the window, and, and she's watching the, the SWAT team gear up and get ready to go. SWAT, SWAT! And JJ notices her. She asks if she can get her something, and she says, those men are going after Roy. Why do they need so many guns? And JJ says, it's just protocol. And Dana says, you guys said people were hurt. How how badly were they hurt? And JJ is like, well, by hurt, we sort of mean murdered. Uh, basically, Dana says, you know what? I lost him 14 years ago. He never really came home. It's been like living with the ghost. Please help him. And JJ says they're going to do everything they can. A nice little scene. Nice little humanizing scene. Okay. And JJ is the one who... who- you know, rips the Band-Aid yeah. off. We don't have to hide things from, from relatives if you say it with care. Yes. <laughs> Reed. <laughs> <laughs> we next cut to Hotch walking in on Reed, staring at his map again. So he asks him what he's working on. And we do our usual showing of all the action, the criminal minds showing everything that we're, we're describing here. So that's going on. And uh, Reed is explaining that he's figured out that there was a shutdown on the freeway at around 5 p.m. on the day he went missing. Cars were stalled. Roy tried to, must have decided he was going to take the streets, uh, but he wound up with a flat tire in an unfamiliar neighborhood. He was changing the flat tire when suddenly nearby there was an eight-story building that was imploded five blocks away. He must have heard the explosion and reacted like a bomb had landed nearby. This triggered his disassociation, and since then, he's been stuck like that. He runs when he needs to. He sleeps when he can. He's hiding from his perceived enemies. And Hotch says, so he's reliving the worst moments of his life. Hotch leaves, and at that moment, Garcia calls Reed. Oh, and this is actually where she actually asked about Morgan. (laughs) 
Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew he did it. I just, I, I didn't, I didn't write, write it out either time. I want, I want to point out though something about the previous scene with with Hotch and Reed though, because uh, first of all, I mean, Hotch doing a wonderful rendition of of U two is stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. I mean, that's a fantastic. <laughs> Uh, they missed a field goal, and oh, he's living at Norwood and over and over again. Uh, but I mean, Hot says to him, "Read, you know, this guy is reliving the worst moment of his life. He's got to be terrified." And then he leaves, and Reed very quietly goes, "Yeah, that's where this story should be, <laughs> right there." It, forget the drugs thing. I'm in my head. I'm reliving this. We saw him with the flashes <laughs> last week. We keep flashing back to the. Reed is reliving the worst moment of his life. He's terrified. It's affecting his personality. He's not sleeping. We don't need any of this drug nonsense. That's why he's acting out. You have it in your script. It is right there. Reed has acknowledged it in your scene. Why are we not focusing more on this? I think that is an excellent point, sir. It's, it's, it's a much, for me, it's a much more natural and, and organic way to, uh, to say, hey, these these incidents that happen to the BAU, they sometimes have lingering effects, and here's how we can... Now he's identified it, so, you know, maybe maybe he can get out of it. Yep. All right. Garcia. Yeah. <laughs> Garcia so says to Reed, you know, she complains a little bit about the police reports that Morgan asked her to find, and Reed is like, you know, uh, I understand they're way undermanned here, and Garcia starts to go off on, oh, she knows what that feels like. But uh, Reed cuts her off and says, look, what do, what do you have? She's found nothing, actually. Nothing unusual has come up in the crime reports. She mentions that there was some vandalism at construction sites, and one of them is missing communications radio, which Reed quickly confirms, radio? And then when she says yeah, he immediately hangs up, even though she's still talking. And she goes on for a bit before she realizes that Reed has hung up on her. And again, this is exactly the reason why, uh, Morgan, you don't pawn off this assignment on someone who doesn't really know what's going on on site because she had no idea that they were interested in the radio or anything, any of the recent developments. So she's like, yeah, I didn't find anything because she didn't know what to look for. She can clickety-clack with the best of them, but even then she's like, so what are my parameters? Oh, I'm looking for this, this, and this. Great. They didn't say look for radios. They said look for blankets and <laughs> look for uh, toiletries. Like, radio isn't any of those things. So it's dumb luck. Dumb luck. Mm -hmm. We next cut to Hotch, and he's giving the SWAT team printouts and the description of Roy Woodridge and... He's saying, don't try to apprehend him alone. He's not going to understand what's happening. He may try to defend himself. He's armed. He's an excellent marksman. And Reed comes in and says, and he may have a stolen radio, a walkie-talkie. So there's that. <laughs> we cut back to Reed. Which, which again, I, yeah. I, again, we already knew this. Uh, <laughs> we, you know, we already knew this. And so... <sighs> Again, it's just the sloppy nature of this whole episode. I, I get it. They didn't know. He has to tell them it, it, it should be quick. But it's just like, can we just have him in the room with them? Like, yeah, what is it, Garcia? Oh, my God, they have a radio. Like, we don't need it to be a second scene. Mm -hmm. Instead, we have another scene with uh, Reed explaining to the team about the stolen radio. And... Exactly! And, back to back to back! Yes. <laughs> and, uh, and Max is saying, well, it could definitely be Roy. They only used... Uh, UFH channel, UHF channels to uh, talk on. Ah, our second Weird I Al I was reference. just going to say another Weird Al. <laughs> uh, 
they point out that he's looking for help and he's he's going to keep trying to contact operations command uh, on the on the radio. So they ask Detective Fuller if they can set up a dozen UHF radios tuned to each frequency so they can monitor them. And Max then says, well, they got to be very careful with the communication because they set up specific responses to contact OPCOM so they could avoid hostile interception. And and they also wanted to so that they would be able to establish any danger signals or no danger signals. And they had specific names to identify the squad to the operator. Gideon asks if he remembers the language that they uh, set up. And he says he couldn't forget it because him and Roy wrote it. And the call out that they need to look out for is this is John Doe looking for Mark Rippon, who was Washington QB in 1993. Yes, he was. He was. Uh, I recognized the name instantly, but, that, you know, that's that's just the sports guy in me. So but uh, kudos for being time specific and, yeah. <laughs> and accurate and all that. Uh, interestingly enough, though, he uh, 1993 was his last year with Washington. Uh, and then the rest of his NFL career reads like this. Cleveland, 94, St. Louis, 95, Philadelphia, 96, St. Louis, 97, Atlanta, 98, Indianapolis, 2001, Seattle, 2002. And then playing for a team called the Rochester Raiders in an in indoor football league in 2006 because he just couldn't let go. <laughs> Poor Mark Rippon. Poor Mark Rippon. But he was good for a while, yeah. yes. Almost, you know, almost as if Mark Rippon was stuck in the past and couldn't let it go. I mean, <laughs> come on. <laughs> so Gideon's like, okay, we got it. But now Fuller is uh, upset saying, well, what if he doesn't call in and he just goes ahead and kills somebody else? And Gideon's like, well, we'll deal with that if it happens. And Fuller's like, whoa, that's easy for you to say. But, uh, you know. It's easy for you to say you're not sleeping with his wife. I mean, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this guy's already killed four people. Let's just go ahead with the grid search. And they tell him that if they do go ahead with the search and this guy confronts one of his men, he's going to be planning a funeral. And uh, Gideon says he wants to get this man rescued. All we're asking is for you to give us a chance to bring him in. And we cut to a break. It's a break. It's a break. I mean, I find it really, really ridiculous that suddenly 35 minutes into a 42-minute episode... All of a sudden, Fuller's not buying in yeah. on what the EPA was doing. It's almost as if we need to create some sort of artificial conflict to head into a commercial break. You think, AJ? Almost like that. Oh, man, this episode, just just not good. <laughs> not good. I, I mean, this show has some great episodes. This is not good. <laughs> you stinker! Uh, so, we come back and uh, find out that Garcia is all prepped. She's got her recon satellites ready. And I guess this was the point of shooing that in the recon site pictures earlier, but I don't know. Just to let us know that she has access to them. Yeah, I mean, she could have been, she could have been saying, hey, I, I've got satellite hookups. I can start looking at construction sites now to see if he's, if we see any movement of someone trying to find a place to live. That might have made more sense than finding a tiny little SOS that apparently the BAU is trained to see in 0.3 seconds. <laughs> and then we get Roy radio, radioing in with the code words, looking for Mark Rippon. It's John Doe looking for Mark Rippon. And uh, Gideon, instead of talking 
into the uh, radio, asks Matt, Max to help out because he knows the, all the lingo better than they do. What? And hands him the walkie-talkie. They totally would have set this up. They, they would have set this up. Yes. They would have. Hey, well, you know the code. You, when he calls, you you handle yeah. it. Like, well, he's there in the room. It's not like they had to go fetch him. It didn't seem like a decision that would have been made at the spur of the moment. <laughs> oh, you know what? I don't know what to say. You do it. <laughs> I mean, especially because we know Gideon would just hang up on him 15 times. <laughs> right. Make, make him angrier and angrier before finally responding. <laughs> So Max takes the radio, says, Roger that. This is number 11, all clear. And Roy is like, Mark Rippenhorn, number 11. <laughs> it's a good... <laughs> Roy is like, Max, Maxie boy, glad to hear from you. And we can hear all the construction noise in the background. Roy says he's taking heavy fire and requests extraction. Uh, Max asks for his coordinates, but he doesn't know. He went to high ground, but he doesn't recognize anything. He doesn't have a fix on his coordinates. And Gideon uh, asks Max if there's any other way for him to signal his location. And Max asks Roy if he put up any flags. And Roy says, you bet your ass I did. I'm holding cover here. And Max says, roger that. Hold your position. He tells Gideon that Roy has triangulated. They need to look for three large colored flags Maybe on rooftops. They're probably identical in size and shape. Garcia is, of course, listening, and she's on it, and she's going to work with the satellites. She she finally finds them in 2.5 seconds. <laughs> I mean, she, she gets them right away, and then they're, like, putting some tension on her, like, Garcia, hurry up, hurry up. What are the street names? Because she's like, oh well, there's a there's a building and there's you know a courtyard. She she can find she can find three she can find three random flags on three random buildings in two point two seconds. But to get down to Street View takes another twenty seven seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little silly. So finally, she says uh, the street names. They're Farmer and Capron, Capron. Capron. Fuller knows where that is, as I would hope he would. <laughs> hey, the fifth ward is my home. <laughs> uh, so he says there's some abandoned buildings right there. I'm going to have the construction sites halt all their work, and I'm going to secure the streets. Halt their work, AJ, <laughs> and secure the streets. And secure the streets, you know. I have had the power to secure the streets of the Fifth Ward all this time to prevent all crime. <laughs> but I have never decided to use this power until right yes. now. I know that's not what he meant. Yeah. It, just, it just sounds silly. I, I think just the important part here is that there will be no construction work going on and the streets will be secured so nobody could just wander in uh, hey, in the area. Let's clear the area. And moving and get him. <laughs> we don't need to use fancy talk. <laughs> so Max does say that uh, Roy is going to expect men in fatigues and he's going to expect a, a chopper as cover. And Fuller says, well, I can take care of the chopper. And Hotch says, well, we're in black SUVs. Tell them we're security executives. You're coming with us. Gideon tells him then, uh, tell him to stay there. We're coming for him. So Max radios him. Hey Roy, we're coming. We're coming to you, buddy. And Roy's wife is looking out of the window. Dana's looking out of the window, and she's looking at the team, all the cops, all the SWAT people run to oh, their cars. Freaking montage! We yeah. don't need another montage, folks. Let's get to the end of this episode, please, <laughs> please, please. 
So we cut to the area where they're at. We see the SWAT team and the SUVs pull up and get into position. The chopper does fly overhead. We see Roy looking out of a window, seeing the chopper. He thanks God when he sees it. He comes out. And once he's convinced that they are who they say they are and he sees uh, Max, he walks toward them. And at this point, they can see he's got a weapon and everybody, you know, points their weapons at him. In the area where that has been secured and the construction has been stopped, some jackass with a jackhammer <laughs> starts working. Like, he's got a union job. He can't listen to, <laughs> to what the cops tell him. I mean, it, this, this, this just this beggars belief completely. You see him. You see, this isn't like way off, like seven blocks away. You see the guy standing next to a cop car decide to go all in on the jackhammer at this moment. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> like, it, like, like he's sully. He was at lunch, and no one told him. <laughs> right. And like, and like oh, back to work. Like, oh, cop cars. <laughs> yeah, it's quiet. Oh well, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. So he starts to. Jackhammer, and this sets Roy off again. And Roy looks around and sees them all with their guns pointed at him, but he's not seeing cops and FBI agents. He's seeing Somalian rebels, or I don't, I, I didn't look up yeah, the war, yeah. but he's seeing whatever he was seeing back in the in the war. And uh, then in this secured area. Uh, <laughs> They're very secure. A small boy <laughs> happens to ride along on his bicycle <laughs> coming up. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I, I guess maybe there's, I don't know. He got through the security somehow. Well, no, no, was, all right, look. Let, he let, was in the let, neighborhood. Let, okay, okay. Let's, yes, let's be generous. <laughs> he, he lives He lives in one of the buildings on that block who then decided to go for a bike ride because, hey, the construction is stopped. It's quiet. I'll go out. <laughs> Must be time to play. So uh, Roy sees the boy, and this triggers him even more. Oh, because he's got to protect, you know, we've seen he's got to protect the kids. So he starts to run towards him. But, of course, he's still got his gun. And, of course, there's a, a SWAT guy on a roof somewhere with an itchy trigger finger. And so as Roy is running toward the boy, the SWAT officer fires and hits him in the back, and Roy goes down. Oh, man. I mean, look, I get that not everyone's going to get the memo on every single thing that you're doing, but don't you brief them as to what's going on. Like, look, this is a good guy who's done some bad things. We can help him. He has a gun. He's not going to give it up immediately, but let us handle it. Only fire if we give an order to fire, no matter what you see. You would think. This, brief him. Like, look, it, this guy doesn't want to hurt anybody. He's not going to hurt anybody unless we there's some noise. And, you know, trust us. We, we're letting you off the hook. Just be there. If he shoots, if he fires, shoot at him. But otherwise, don't fire unless you get an order. That's your order. Yes. No, he's running away. And look, and the sniper's trained on this guy. He doesn't see the kid. Let's be very clear here. This guy did not see the kid on the bike if he's trained in doing his job properly. So right. 
just this whole thing doesn't work. This whole thing is stupid. And of course, Gideon's got to run up to him and like hold his hand. Did the did the did the kid? Yes, you saved the kid. You're a hero. You saved the kid. You saved the kid. Good, good. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, I I suppose that was meant to get the feels from us, but the ludic- ludicrousness of the whole thing sort of takes away from the feels that you may have been they no, have been trying no to manipulate. Feels. <laughs> No feels were to be had. Oh, and they 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 put up those like the violins on the soundtrack. So, like, yeah, really like swell with the string section. Like no, no, no. The camera pulls up in an aerial shot, and we see perhaps one of Roy's flags on the roof of that building that they're next to. Whatever. Oh, <laughs> uh, just uh, all right. I, I'm going to sum up everything in one word. <laughs> We cut back to the police station, AJ, and we just hear music. It's still montage time. We see Reed getting the news and shaking his head slowly towards Prentice. And JJ was watching this through a window. She looks at Roy's wife, who we see there, who she realizes the news and she's shocked. And then we cut to Garcia looking disgusted, taking her headset and throwing it off so apparently she could see everything as it was going on. Or Well, she was watching on the satellite feed, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll cut her some slack. All right. On that one. So that's what we see. She could, she could, she could, she was, she was in, she was in radio contact with the team on the ground. Yes, she so could hear what, what happened. Yeah. We cut to a bit later and Detective Fuller is coming in and he's happy now, uh, <laughs> I guess. He thanks the. Hey! He thanks the team. Hey, he thanks the team for coming to assist. Uh, no one ever makes this place a priority. So they're very grateful. And Prentice says uh, she just wishes it ended differently. And Fuller agrees with that. And uh, Emily asks if anyone has seen Gideon. And Fuller says, oh, wait, he left some time ago. He said he'd meet you guys at the airport. JJ asks if he said he where he went. Fuller says No. But Hotch says he thinks he knows where he is. Is, is Fuller channeling the, the ghost of L <laughs> with having information and just like, oh, yeah, yeah. He told me about an hour ago that he was leaving yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, he would meet you at the airport. Oh, he didn't tell you guys that? Why would th- he told you to tell them, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> you weren't going to tell him this, they asked? Come on. No. So we next. This is stupid, 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 yes. stupid, stupid. We next cut to a neighborhood. In the fifth ward, Hotch pulls up in his uh, SUV and and gets out, and we see that he sees Gideon sitting there on a bench. Hotch sits down next to him. They have a brief, what's up, hello, hello, hello. And then Gideon starts to say, you know, the first recorded war was in 2700 BC. Probably earlier wars than that, but writing hadn't been invented yet. And Hotch says, 5,000 years of killing each other. And Gideon says, it's one thing that humans have been consistently good at. Hotch says, you know, we did everything we could for him. Gideon says, yeah, but sometimes knowing that just isn't good enough. Hotch says he knows. And we pan out and they're sitting across from a, a building that has a mural on it. Uh, the mural is uh, honoring fallen people, I was assume, from the neighborhood. 
It's like an American it, flag. It wasn't sure if it was neighborhood or if it was veterans yeah. in general, but yeah. There's, it wasn't the victims from this storyline. Not at all. <laughs> it was a much, much bigger thing than that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, dog tags with victims' names, crosses on the flag instead of stars, a rifle is there standing in some boots with a little soldier's hat on top of the rifle. It was a very artistic little piece. Uh, great. <laughs> so we next cut to the jet flying home. And Hotch gives us our closing quote, even though the Netflix subtitles say Gideon giving us this quote, but the Netflix <laughs> they, subtitles they sometimes, uh, yeah, yeah, they sometimes mess are up. wrong. Uh, and the quote is, if there must be trouble, let it be in my day that my child may have peace. Thomas Paine. And our episode is over. Yeah. Yeah. And may I add, yeah. Um, well, the show is uh, not a good one. This one, this episode, <laughs> I, I gotta say, is not a good one. I think I think there was a germ of a good idea in there about like, okay, you know, and and we will see. This is not the last time that the uh, the subjects of either gentrification, uh, forgotten towns in America. Or forgotten soldiers when they come back and PTSD. This this is a theme that Criminal Minds clearly is very uh, intent on keeping awareness up and everything, and and that's fine. There are, there are ways to tell the story far better than this one. Interesting idea, but this was a fifteen minute episode with forty five minutes of pad. Yeah, yeah, and also on that subject, you know, those subjects with with skillful writing. I don't feel like I'm being hit over the head. I feel like, oh, I've come up with this thought of how that relates to these things. Here, I felt like they were just trying to hit me over the head. This is a hot button issue. And this is a hot yes. button issue. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. I'm all for, you know, hearing about these issues. But there's a way to do it skillfully so that I don't feel like I'm, I'm being preached to or given any way I'm supposed to feel or... Or that maybe you were just trying to, you know, show how with it you are. There's a certain trend in these types of shows. And criminalized, in fairness, part of the reason I like the show is it doesn't fall prey to it often. But CBS and the CSIs and the NCISs will tend to do a show that is kind of meaty and important like this, or at least how they feel it's that way, so that the next episode can be a spring break uh, beach and <laughs> scantily clad girls dancing around exploitation of women episode. <laughs> and they go, oh, if we're going to do that one, we better think, you know, we better have treated an important subject right before it so they won't get hammered for it. Like, no, 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 we do important stuff, you know. So, I, it, yeah. So, despite how we felt about this particular episode, AJ, did they win the episode? Let's look at our barometer now. Sure. Well, uh, coming into this episode, uh, a record of eight wins, three losses, and four draws for the season. And it's going to be a struggle to make the playoffs at this rate because this is an L. This is a loss because halfway through this episode, it became less about catching the unsub as in rescuing Roy. 
and they fail to rescue Roy. And yeah, it was a sniper that isn't BAU, and yeah, it was a jackhammer guy who should have been stopped by the local police. But <laughs> this thing was just a this whole investigation was a mess. Uh, and they did they you know even Gideon at the end is like we didn't win this one. So I, I would tend to agree. Usually I take my cues from Gideon, but, uh, you know, I certainly can overrule him. He's not always right. But, uh, yeah, no. An L in, in H-Town. All right. All right. So the other thing we like to do, AJ, every week, once we're done uh, roasting or giving glorification to the particular episode that we watched, we like to have a little bit of a quiz inspired by the episode we just watched. I have another podcast called Beat My Guest, which is all about trivia and whatnot. Feel free to check that out. Uh, so I like the trivia. And every episode that we watch here of Criminal Minds on Felonious Pundits inspires me to come up with three questions for Kintad to try his hand at. Uh, question number one refers to Roy, our wonderful unsub in this episode. He was portrayed by an actor by the name of Holt McElhaney. Uh, Holt McElhaney was actually one of the lead characters in a television show, lasted a couple of seasons, where he appeared as a man named Bill, who was a founder of the Behavioral Science Unit of the FBI. Huh? What was the name of this show? Wow. Huh. That's very uh, neat little piece of trivia you found there. I wish I could figure out what the show was. Uh, his name was Bill? His name was Bill. And he was a founder of the BSU? Yes. Uh, the FBI. I'm assuming this was before Criminal Minds. What show was this? I have no idea, so I'm going to give a random guess and say that uh, he showed up in uh, the X-Files. X-Files is a fantastic guess. I mean, they certainly uh, had an FBI. Yes. <laughs> Front and center that. Uh, you went in the way wrong direction time-wise, my friend. Why, this is this Netflix show with Jonathan Groff. Mindhunter. Ah, yes. I have not watched that show. Yeah, Jonathan Groff and Holt McElhaney are uh, two profilers, the very first profilers who set up the BSU in the basement of the FBI, along with uh, Fringe's Editorv. Oh, I might have to check that out. I, I, uh, was that, that I heard that was good, but I didn't watch it. It was, it was a very, it was a very good show. Uh, It was very entertaining. I'm, I, I think COVID, more than any other reason, is why there will not be a season three, and they kind of canceled it. I think had they been able to film season three right away, there was good momentum, and just it kind of went away. But I, I think even with the, you know, there, there's no cliffhanger in the sense that you know every season, uh, I think Netflix is following the British models, that every season is going to have a start, middle, and end, and then we'll either get another season or we won't, and I think that's the perfect model for television. Yep. Uh, so you don't feel cheated if it doesn't come back, but if it does come back, 
there might be some seeds from which you can continue the story. But uh, right. yeah, no, it's a really good episode. Uh, episodes of television, and uh, yeah, I recognize I, I recognized him instantly. I'm like, wait, that's he's in the FBI. He's in the BA. Ah. He knows what profilers do. <laughs> okay, even though even though this is several years have passed, a little bit older, a little bit gruffer. Yeah, right. I I did go in the wrong direction there. Yeah, quite literally. But here's a much uh, much different question for you. Again, no multiple choice on this one because uh, I think you might get this one. What boxer? with multiple title belts and an Olympic medal to his name hails from Houston's fifth ward. Oh, I feel like this one is on the tip of my tongue. Oh, come on, Kuntad. I can't. It's not coming to me. Um, dang it, dang it, dang it. It's not coming to me at all. So I'm going to go with a boxer's last name. And I'm going to say uh, Whitaker. Whitaker. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where Purnell Whitaker hails from, but there's definitely a boxer named Whitaker. Would you have remembered Purnell, or you were trying to go for no. a catch-all there? No, I knew Purnell, but I just I uh, I don't know why I just said his last name. I was just going for it all. Uh, yeah, no, uh, Purnell Whitaker is from Virginia. So yeah, definitely. Okay. You're not going to back into some backhand points there, but of course, the Olympic medalist who's won multiple title belts and sold many a grill in his day oh. is George Foreman, the pride of Houston's Fifth Ward. Well, if I had that clue of the <laughs> grill, maybe. <laughs> oh, well. And he is, when, when the time comes for his obituary, he is survived by his sons, George, 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 George and George. And George. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. My favorite question, my favorite part of every Thelonious Pundits episode is question three in the trivia round where I ask you, by way of preview of next week's episode, sir, what is the plot going to be of Criminal Minds season two, episode 18, entitled Jones? Jones. Is it A, Ed Kemper is on the loose in San Francisco, or at least someone intent on killing in the famous killer's style? Is it B, Jack the Ripper is on the loose in New Orleans, or at least someone intent on killing in his style? Is it C? Jeffrey Dahmer is on the loose in Minneapolis. Or at least someone intent on killing and eating in his style. (laughs) Or is it D? Reed does not show up for work. Because he has taken those drugs. And in his drug-induced hallucination, he encounters... Serial killers Ed Kemper, Jeffrey Dahmer, and Jack the Ripper. Uh, I was like, wait a second, the last one's not following the pattern. But there was a reason for that. Okay. All right. I don't... I. As soon as I think something sounds a little too far-fetched, that tends to be the thing that I think it may be. Because... Once I heard that 
Morgan and Elle were going to go on a vacation together. <laughs> and that was actually what it was. I'm now ready to buy anything for this show. Having said that, I, I don't think yet we're going to go into the whole read drug thing. I think they're going to let it percolate a little more before the end of the uh, season here. So with that, it's just a one in three random pick for me. And I'm going to say with where I want to go geographically, haven't visited my Bay Area home in a long time. So we'll go with choice A, which I believe was Ed Kemper type killings in San Francisco. Ed Kemper type killings in San Francisco is your guess. Uh, sadly, no, even though Reed might at some point be jonesing for those drugs, he is not, in fact, going to have a hallucination. Although, <laughs> would have loved to have seen that episode. The episodes <laughs> I come up with sometimes are the best of all. Um, nope. Get your dancing shoes on. Get ready for some smooth jazz, cause we heading to the Big Easy and Nolans for a Jack the Ripper wannabe on the loose. Yeah, that should have been my guess. Who's gonna imitate Ed Kemper? Is you gonna do the Ripper? You're gonna go with the big famous one? I've I mean, just you, you could go with Jeffrey Dahmer because of the eating. Yeah, I just wanted Ed to. Did, sh- Ed, Ed did some eating too. Yeah, <laughs> but he that's more true. About- he was more about uh, his his thing was collecting shoes. <sighs> oh well, oh for three, not having that good of a season this year. This but, is definitely going to be an episode that we we forget about or try to forget about as quickly as possible, both from the content of Houston's Fifth Ward and the trivia playing activities. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, folks. That was great. I had a good time. I hope you had a good time because now the episode, this has been a long one for such a poor episode, but maybe that's why. Uh, Our episode is over. We are done. Thank you so much for joining us. You know what? Please be sure to subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform, and be sure to spread the word and let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up! Recline your seat. Rewind this heat. Keep bouncing up and down these streets. So nod your head and break your neck. Bust a ride.